Do you ever get that feeling you're being watched? That hot pressure on the back of your neck like a microwave beanbag? That feeling you get when you're in a public space and you just know there's someone staring you down and so you turn and there they are. That awkward, oops, I'm caught, look away that they do or you share that fake smile we wear anytime we cross paths with someone we don't quite know but somehow think we might. What about when you think you're alone and you get that hair-raising feeling and you turn and nothing's there? What then? Do you offer the same awkward smile to the ghost in your living room? Do you brush it off? Do you ignore it and keep going on with your life? Well, I've got a story for you this week about being watched, and then afterwards I'll be joined by a TikToker with a folklore degree to dive deeper into the legend. And we'll hear some urban legends from you, dear listener. But first, turn off the lights, find a safe hiding space, and fall in to haunting season. Backpacking was my bread idea. I never thought it would end this way. Most dads with a teenager just go camping. They drive out to a spot, set up a tent, fish on the lake, cook hot dog chili. But I grew up hearing my dad's stories about backpacking as a boy in the 70s, and I hold on to this deep regret of not ever going myself. In a time filled with so much technology, so much screen time, I do everything I can to send my kid outdoors to build valuable real-life skills. But Thomas would argue that today's real-life skills involve talking into a phone 24-7 on TikTok. The agreement for this trip was no cell phone, but I bought him a GoPro to talk into so he could at least come back with some content. I'm always looking for balance with Thomas. We recently moved to California and right away I started making plans for an autumn backpacking trip through the Santa Lucia mountains that would spit us out after a few days into Big Sur. Everybody talks about the beauty there where the cliffs meet the ocean. I still hope to get there someday. The first day of our trip was mostly driving, followed by one final shower at the Budget Inn in El Camino Royale. When I checked in, the guy at the counter asked if we were experienced hikers. I guess our bright clothes from RAI were easy to spot. And so I started to explain and he smiled, an odd, hollow smile, and simply said, Mind the dark watchers then. Oh, (laughs) we're not a ghost story kind of family. They don't care what kind of people you are. They'll be watching. You'll see them on the ridge in the trees. Don't approach them. Avert your eyes. Stay on the trail and leave nothing but footprints. That night in the uncomfortable twin bed of the motel, I had a dream. It didn't make much sense at the time, but I stood on the surface of the moon, which shrank at a terribly quick rate. The darkness of the sky ate everything around me, but the sun was coming around. And as the moon got to about the size of a a car, giant fingers came from behind and slid over the dusty surface between my legs. 
I did everything to maintain my balance, but I was being moved, lifted, the ground quaking beneath my feet. Then the fingers burst into a heatless flame as the giant's head came into view. The sun, a giant yellow fireball, cracking, breaking, perfect white escaping in beams so bright that they felt as vacant as the dark void around us. I raised my arms up to shield my eyes from the intensity, an opening as if to speak, but without any sound, a wall of light and fire silently exploded past the moon, taking everything but my bones and a spattering of floating dust particles. Part of the deal with backpacking is getting an early start. A 5.30 breakfast at the 24-hour diner, one last sip of coffee, and then off to the visitor's center at the trailhead to park, sign in, and head on our way. Once I logged our names, date, and time, the woman behind the counter asked a few more questions about our projected path and timeline. And when we finished, I realized Thomas was no longer standing with me. He was off in the corner of the room speaking with a ranger. As I approached, I could hear the tail end of their conversation. That doesn't sound like a very good gift, Thomas was saying. Well, the greatest gift for those who dwell in nature is respect for the environment. The rocks are a sign, but an even better sign is putting out your fires, picking up your trash, and we like to say leaving nothing but footprints. Take nothing but memories. And we're all set, buddy, I interjected with a brash whisper. Well, fine talking with you, Thomas. Yeah, you too. Thomas tossed his backpack on, clipping the belt as we walked out the door, the ranger still calling after us. Remember, only footprints, and maybe a little gift. (laughs) We hiked ten solid miles that day soaking in the sounds of birds and frogs and bugs. Being our first night on the trail, we set up camp early in a small clearing just off the path. What was that ranger talking to you about, Thomas? Oh, that Dark Watcher stuff again. Huh. Feels like they're really trying to force the whole urban legend thing. I don't know. The ranger said they've seen them in these parts since, like, the 30s. Hmm. Hey, you didn't use your GoPro today. No, I know. I I want to save it for when we get a little further in. I only have a few batteries. Having some time with Thomas to sit and talk was healing. We cooked up some dogs, hung by the fire till the sun set, and then as the forest started to come alive in the darkness, we shuffled off to Buffalo around 8.30. That night, I had the dream again. Only this time, Thomas was there. The moon, or the rock, that we were standing on was shrinking, and we were both trying to keep our balance. I knew the sun was coming, and I tried to shield Thomas. I tried to block him from the rays that would destroy us. The massive fingers slid around our shrinking platform, and I felt the head of the thing, the the sun, blaring, sweltering, rising to meet us, tanning our skin. I shouted to Thomas that we had to jump, jump into the abyss, into the nothingness. No words came out, just a a maddening silence. I waved, I pleaded, and I counted to three and jumped, turning in space as the blast from the sun god's face obliterated my child into particles of ash and bone. 
as I drifted into the black void of space. I woke up before first light. Unwilling to go back to sleep, I stepped out of my tent to find Thomas sitting by the glowing remains of the fire pit. Strange dreams had woken him as well. With nothing else to do, we started packing up, ready to hit the trail as soon as the dawn light would allow. We weren't on the path but 20 minutes when we saw it. Dad! Shit, Dad, look! Language! Dad, do you see that? Look at the sun! I turned and looked up at the bright ball and the mist, peeking up over the top of the trees across the valley. Obstructing it was a, a dark shape, the silhouette of a man with a long cloak and a wide-brimmed hat. Is that... a, a person? Nah, they have to be 30 feet tall. It's got to be some kind of rock up there. Dark Watcher, Thomas whispered. We stood and stared for a moment before I decided we needed to push forward. The shape never moved, just stood and watched. Thomas made a little video after trying to capture the image on his GoPro. Hey guys, so I'm out here hiking with my dad, hiking in the Santa Lucia Mountains, and we just saw a dark watcher. I tried to capture it with my GoPro here, but the lens is too wide. I'll try and zoom in on the footage. Have you guys ever seen a dark watcher? Let me know in the comments. At least he was using the thing. Thomas filmed little clips here and there throughout the day, which made me really happy. Chasing lizards, filming interesting angles of trees, and stacking rocks when we broke for lunch. Hey, where'd you learn to do that? I've seen people stacking on TikTok. When I first downloaded it, I somehow got into like a meditation talk thread and got kind of obsessed. That's incredible, Thomas. This is all about balance, Dad. The big one can stand on end because the smaller one evens out the lump on that side. It's gonna be our gift. <laughs> You're not gonna be able to hike with those. A gift for the dark watchers. The ranger said it was a good idea to keep them happy. Ah, well, uh, Okay. <laughs> hey, look, if my kid's happy stacking rocks for a shadow we thought looked cool, fine. Let him be happy, right? I thought so, too. But after our second stint of hiking for the day, things changed drastically. The sun was starting to set when we first heard the waterfall. This is what hiking is all about. The unexpected adventure, right? Hey, come on, Thomas, if we cut through here. Dad, you have to stay on the path. It's too late. We can find it tomorrow. Come on, where's your sense of adventure? This is what we're out here for. I cut a sharp left, hopped over a log, and started crunching through the underbrush. You're gonna miss some awesome shots. I bet we'll be able to catch the sunset from here. Not wanting to be left alone on the darkening path, Thomas finally followed, GoPro in hand. Hey guys, the sun is setting and we should be setting up camp, but my dad heard the sound of a waterfall and we're gonna go check it out. I hope the dark watchers don't mind. We're off the path, anything could happen. It didn't take long for the woods to fall dark, but with the edge in sight, we kept pushing forward. This is gonna be beautiful. I can see the clouds. Can you see them? They look like, yeah, it looks like fire in the sky. Fire in the sky, these words stopped me cold. My dream. Was it a warning? We were about to walk out onto a cliffside at sunset with fire. Snoozy lose, Dad! Thomas cheered as he pushed past me. 
Uh, let's hang back. I, I didn't think this through, buddy. We came this far. Let's go, old man. Thomas, don't run! I shouted after him, starting to run myself. It's just up here! Thomas, no! I watched as he broke out into the remaining daylight, standing at the roaring mouth of the pastel-painted waterfall. And as I joined him, we stood breathless at the edge of oblivion. The overwhelming power of the endless water cascading over the cliffside could only be described as a perpetual rocket launch, both in the sound and how it looked. Red and yellow fire replaced with the blue and white of the frigid water. A deep, unsettling tension rose in my chest and throat, not only from the sound, but the realization of how small and weak humans are next to nature's power. The cliff wasn't the largest I've ever seen, but for someone who has a tough time with skyscrapers, this was high enough to set off the mental alarms. Fifty, maybe sixty feet high. Enough to kill a person. Or at least shatter their bones. But the height of the cliff wasn't what caused us to retreat. Nor the waterfall itself. It was the dark, unmistakable shadows of the watchers lining the adjacent cliffside. Dad, I couldn't speak. I grabbed Thomas by the shoulder and backed him into the cover of the trees. Grab the lanterns, we gotta get back to the path. But it was too late. We had let excitement take over and it didn't take much time to realize we were lost. The sun now fully set, the forest started to come alive with new sounds. Sounds you ignore when you're in the safety of a campsite, warm and cozy by the fire. Footsteps, wings flapping, sticks breaking. This once serene getaway turned into a noisy metropolis the moment the sun went down. And we were in over our heads. With our lanterns held high, we started walking when something sharp penetrated my kneecap and I let out a shout that silenced the crickets, if only for a moment. Toppling rocks shook the underbrush with a thunderous pounding against the soft earth. I staggered, trying to catch my balance against another nearby rock and sent it toppling as well, and it left me careening face first into a third. I could taste the iron in my blood gushing like the waterfall from my brow and the bridge of my nose. Thomas ran to my side, adding light from his lantern to the one that I had sent rolling a few feet in front revealing the dozens of stacked rocks as far as the light could reach. Dad, your face! was the last thing I heard before the weight of my eyes took over and I slipped into the darkness of my mind. A blip is how I would explain it. Lost time, a blink for me, but for Thomas, I don't know how long. I regained consciousness to bright, hot light, not coming from above the trees, but from the ground around us. Thomas? Dad, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what happened. You were shivering, the, the temperature dropped, and I tried to make us a fire. The flames grabbed up the trees to the right and spread through the rock stacks to the left. We have to go now, I shouted, pushing myself up on another stack of rocks that toppled under my weight, crushing my hand against the ground. I pulled, but the jagged edges sunk into my skin. Tom! My hand! I'm stuck! The sound of the tumbling rocks didn't stop. 
The ground shook with a monstrous growl, the trees swaying. An earthquake? No. Worse. Footsteps. Thomas looked up from kicking the dirt over the growing flames as the treetops parted and a massive hand came out of the darkness, grabbing him around his waist and lifting him away. I could feel my screaming ripping at my throat, but no sound reached my ears. The flames were licking at my neck now as I pulled my hand from beneath the boulder, stripping the skin from my fingers. But I felt no pain either. I ran to where Thomas had been, vocal cords splitting, but there was nothing but infinite darkness beyond the dancing flames. The fire began to take everything, growing at a startling rate that left me sprinting forward, blindly towards the dark with the glow at my back. The sound rushed back into my ears, and trading one fear for another, I knew what I had to do. There was only one way to survive. Dodging the trees, I ran, screaming from the pain of my exposed tendons, clinging my peeled hand to my wet, sticky shirt. The forest parted, soft dirt turned to stone, and with the roar of the waterfall enveloping everything, I dove into the dark unknown, turning back in space, watching the fire blasting away everything but the bones of the forest that took my son. Today's episode is brought to you by Mixtape Massacre, the 1980s-styled slasher-killer board game. You can have up to six players, each one some sort of paranormal slasher-monster-type creature with a cool origin story and a great character design. You take turns roaming the town, racking up kills, and collecting trophies like severed hands, teeth, and eyeballs to try and come out with the most kills or to be the last surviving. It takes about 15 minutes to learn and around 90 minutes to play with six people. You can check it out at hauntingseasonpod.com mixtape, and if you want to buy the game will offer you 10% off, which is more than 0% off, so why not? It's a cool game. Right now it's my favorite game. You should at least check it out. Good evening, world, and welcome to Haunting Season. Tonight in the office, I'm diving into the lore of the Dark Watchers, where the legend started, what we know about them, and why I chose to write a story about them in the first place. And to help me do that, I have a friend who's here who studied folklore at Indiana University and has an incredible TikTok presence where I get a lot of inspiration. Please welcome Aubrey, otherwise known as Folklore Facts on TikTok. Hi, Aubrey. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited you were down to do this. I'm such a fan of your stuff i love your stories and your podcast <laughs> thanks um i i you know i just love what you're doing on tiktok can you talk a little bit about what your page is like and how you got started doing it i finished my major for folklore and ethnomusicology a year ago and i wanted to still stay connected to folklore because i loved it so much so i thought why not do like little one minute videos on TikToks to tell stories and it just kind of took off. <laughs> it's That's just, a, so it's what's ethnomusicology? Am I saying that right? Yeah, ethnomusicology. It's the study of culture and music. When I was in the program, I was way more focused on folklore, but I do 
have a little bit of background on that. <laughs> well, I think what I love most about your content is beca- because of who you are as a person, it, it offers this really nice balance of like innocence and humor with these dark legends and hauntings. So when I come across your content late at night, I'm kind of scared, but also like really comforted at the same time. It's kind of magic. Here's, I want to play a <laughs> clip of one that you did on the Goatman of Maryland. It's one of my favorites. Let's talk about the Goatman of Bowie, Maryland. There are a lot of different origin stories for the Goatman of Maryland, but the most widely accepted one is probably my favorite. So the story goes that somewhere between the 1950s and 1970s, a scientist was experimenting on goats when he somehow got his blood cross-contaminated with the goat's blood. And this cross-contamination either created or morphed him into half-man, half-goat. You know, as one does. So being this angry half-goat, half-man that he is, he decides to grab an axe and start terrorizing and eating humans. And to this day, people say they still see him around the forest of Bowie, Maryland. They say that he's about six to seven feet tall and he stands on his hind legs. There's a specific instance in 1971 where a dog went missing and it was later found dead. And that night when people went to search for the dog, they said they saw Goatman. And many heard his goat scream that night. Should I do more? And now your page has been growing since I first started watching you. You're currently getting like thousands of views per video. You have almost 25,000 people following and get sometimes up to 30 comments on a post. Were you expecting this at all when you started? No. So I think I blew up with uh, a haunted painting called the, The Rain Woman. It was like overnight. One day I woke up to like thousands of likes and stuff and I was like, oh my gosh, people actually watch this. This is great. And it was just really... I don't affirming to know that people were as excited about these stories and about hearing all of this and learning this as I was. It felt like I found like a great community, which I just was not expecting. How, how do you manage with all of the stuff going on now? I feel like a lot of people might be like stressed or like it seems like work, but I'm always like, yes, I'm learning stories from other people, too. So it's great. It's like what I started out to to study and. I, I don't know. It's it's just very fulfilling. <laughs> yeah, it's not every day you get to like continue what you did in college. I went to school for acting and haunting seasons like the closest thing I've ever gotten to acting. Um, and it's kind of interesting that it's happening now. I'm, I'm 36 and have just started this channel back up last October. And uh, it, it's just funny because for so many years I was going on a completely opposite direction. And then here I am performing again. So do you have any plans for the future uh, as far as folklore and TikTok and all that stuff? I've always known that my goal is to go to graduate school because I'd love to work in academia and teach folklore. It's just to be able to spread stories and to learn more about them and what they mean is just a huge, huge deal for me. So it's just, I guess, for now, sticking through academia. But uh, again, like, I didn't think that this would grow. So now I'm starting to look at, well, where can I branch out? I'm also like doing segments on another podcast uh, called Foggy Jack. And I've been asked about like YouTube and my own. So I guess I never thought this was an avenue for me, but now it is. So I kind of looking at it different now. <laughs> yeah, I would I would strongly encourage you to keep going because I love what you're doing. And there is something that's like deep in our core about telling stories, especially stories that have been told over and over like folklore. Um, We've even done some of the same stories on our two TikToks. They're different because of who's telling it and and who you heard it from. 
And I love that. Exactly. So that's part of like what got me into writing as well is the idea of like creating stories like this that maybe could be turned into legend. Someone could say, oh, I heard this story and they'd start to retell it. I've only just started doing this office segment. I call it the office because my wife and I always put on the office after a scary movie to kind of like palate cleanse a little bit. Yes. (laughs) I do the same thing. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. That show is just like, it's perfect for so many different things. I started this segment uh, as a way to decompress. And and when I did start it, um, it was after a submitted story, a story that I didn't write. And so this is a little bit awkward for me because I did write this story. And then now the two of us are going to talk about it, but it's going to launch into a much larger conversation about the Dark Watchers. So I'm really excited. So I'll just start by asking, what do you think of the story? I thought you did it so well when you were talking about the Dark Watchers in this story, because the idea of Dark Watchers is that like, you see it kind of in passing. It's like very fleeting. Not always, but like that's a big thing about it. And you centered your story around Dark Watchers without having it be like they were there for a pro. So it felt like anxiety and like something was there, but you didn't go into detail. So we could fill it out with our minds. I just thought it was so well done that way. Oh, thanks. Just really spot on. Like I could believe that it was like, Uh, like a real like dark watcher sighting kind of deal the first time i heard about dark watchers was just this year trying to look up urban legends i think someone must have requested it on my tiktok comments it felt important to me to not grow the lore past what it already is the thing that creeped me out was that part of your story the son he gets basically yanked right by the dark watcher uh, and it made me think like, okay, we have these stories, these sightings where people are like, I saw it and then it disappeared. If we're talking about this story as it being true, there's definitely a possibility that there are stories out there where somebody saw it and we don't hear from them again. Yeah. And like how many times like we hear about like alien abductions, but what if, yeah. you know, what if the abduction was something else? Yeah. You threw in uh, the idea of lost time, which is like a really popular motif with alien abductions. And when I was going through Dark Watchers um, and like their lore, I was coming up with my own theories of, is it a cryptid? Is it like a UFO kind of alien thing? Yeah, so let's get into the lore. Like, take me through what you've learned. As someone who studies folklore, I'm interested to hear, you know, where, where do these come from? In your story, you said like, this has been a thing since the 1930s, which is like pretty accurate. I mean, that's when it like really grew. And people knew about it more. But the idea of the Dark Watcher has been around a, like probably over 400 years. It, Whoa. A lot of people attribute it to the Shumash tribe in the area. But uh, that's kind of iffy. It's mostly comes from Spanish settlers who went to the area. And as they were there, they felt like an uncomfortable presence watching over them. And then they were the ones who gave it the name, which I'm... I don't speak Spanish, so I'm really going to butcher it. But it was Vigilantes Oscaros, which I guess means literally dark watcher. Uh, so at first, when they like came to the area, they were like, oh, something's watching us and we can't really see what it is. And it seems oppressive. But as they settled, they were like, oh, it's just observing. They They felt like <laughs> some said that they felt like it was smiling down on them, which is weird. Uh, but then when others came to the area, not just Spanish, they also felt the exact same sensation. Like they were being intensely watched while they were on the mountains. Going back to like people kind of believing that it's from the Shumash tribe, I can kind of see there like is a lot in their folklore that's about like shape-shifting lore, which kind of matches up. And then there's also 
a creature called the Nunassus, which the Nunassus is something that's in the hills of Santa Lucia. It comes out at night and it has evil intentions. If you see it, bad luck is supposed to come your way and illness. From a Western culture perspective, we all the time in movies, you know, like the the great Western movies, you always have that image of the Native Americans on the ridge, like kind of watching over and preparing for an attack or something. And obviously, you know, we have made the Indians the bad guys because that's, you know, how we were progressing our uh, takeover of of this country um, in in microaggressions. But uh, that... I think probably helps connect the dots for someone who's looking for a connection with a Native American tribe of like that mentality of like, oh, something's watching me from the ridge. I know from all these old movies, it must be Native Americans. That's actually where my like thought process was too. But you also like, if this did solely come from the Spanish, they have a lot of similar folklore to the djinn. I don't know if you know what the djinn is. It's like Middle Eastern uh, demonology kind of. Kind of. It's not always a demon, but it's... A lot of times stories say that it's always there. So I could kind of see how they might have taken something like that idea and put it into the new region that they were in and make like kind of like a mashup of folklore. (laughs) So that's kind of like their origin. But then, like I said, they got really big in the 1930s, especially in 1937. There was a, a poet named Robinson Jeffers who wrote about them. And then a year later, John Steinbeck also wrote about them. And I think that that's where like it really took off and like people were like oh these popular works i've read them and they believe in this and i've seen this so that's kind of where we get the idea of dark watchers today is from how they described it because uh robinson jeffers described it as like a form that looks human to the eye but is not human and they just they come from behind ridges and watch and this is in his poem such counsel you gave me and then john steinbeck has like like i said he has a short story called flight which is includes them. It's not about them, really, but it includes them. And it turns out that his whole family, including himself, were like hardcore believers in the Dark Watchers and his mother and his grandmother. And you in your story had like a bit about giving them gifts. And apparently his mother would leave flowers and nuts and other gifts in the air in areas where it's known or where their sightings are known to like please them. I love that you included that because I feel like that's a little bit of folklore that people kind of forget now. Yeah, I, I included that for two reasons, um, neither of which were because I knew it to be part of the Dark Watchers story. I, one, kind of pulled it from doing a lot of looking up of the fae and fairy people. Giving them gifts was a big thing. And then the rock stacking. During the pandemic, I was trying to find things in nature or uh, in neighborhoods that were interesting to take photos of. And one time, I drove around for an hour and a half hadn't found anything and I had just decided to go home when I passed a rock stacking garden that had like 50 or so rock stacks. I wandered around there and took photos for a while and my head was like, I'm going to use this someday. And it just seemed like the perfect kind (laughs) of gift of like a respectful, I'm not taking anything, but I'm leaving this like beautiful thing for you. See, I love talking about this with people because it opens up so much to like how folklore just travels. And like, I know that we say dark watchers are really localized to the Santa Lucia mountains but that's just another example of stuff there's so much lore all over the world that could really line up with dark watchers like shadow people or even Bigfoot (laughs) even Bigfoot is kind of like the dark watchers so I love that now I have this idea that I could see that there being like the idea of the dark watchers in Ireland or Ireland 
because of the gift giving. That's like a specific motif that matches up. I, I have this ongoing theme that I, I always come back to of like the mystery of the woods because it's not somewhere you can see into from anywhere other than being in the woods. And it's so vast, it almost feels like a dry ocean to me. And if the ocean has giant whales and huge squids and bizarre things that are beyond our imagination and we've barely even scratched the surface of the giant of the oceans, could there be things like that on land, hiding in caves, somewhere just below the surface? I love the idea that even though we've primarily seen them here in California, could they be everywhere? There are tall trees to hide behind. It wasn't too long ago, really, that we thought that the giant squid was a cryptid or the platypus used to be a cryptid. So it's, we can miss things. The world is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the first things that popped into my head uh, imagery wise when hearing about the Dark Watchers were the giant trees from Lord of the Rings. Um, and so, like, what if these Dark Watchers actually look like trees? And then when they're in the silhouette or, or they they move themselves in a certain way, they don't look like a tree because um, the description is often a very large brimmed hat and like a almost a duster like trench coat usually like at least 10 feet tall and often holding like a cane or a walking stick yeah that's about how they're described but they also are described like featureless but if they're so fleeting i feel like our brains fill in the details of what we don't understand so they could definitely look like that like the trees or like anything really so what about debunking I guess this like was coined in Germany. It was it's a big thing in the Hearts Mountains. Uh, it's called the Brock Inspector. And when the sun is setting or rising, if you're on the mountains, uh, it hits you a certain your shadow a certain way, especially on misty days, and it just like amplifies your shadow. And like that's definitely a very realistic thing to like think like you know this could just be my shadow. The sun hit me in a certain way. And I think that's like the biggest debunk out there. But at the same time, I'm somebody who likes to be skeptical, but also will say, tell everything is true to be really respectful of the story and would love to believe in everything. <laughs> so yeah. my counter argument is that I feel like I would know if my shadow is moving the same way as me or if I'm wearing a cloak, a hat and holding the <laughs> cane or not, you know, like. I think I'd know if I, I was feel wearing like I know a cloak that. and a hat. <laughs> and at the same time like a lot of people are like i looked at it and when i looked at it it disappeared before my eyes i'm pretty sure the sun doesn't move fast enough for a shadow to just like snap out (laughs) you know and also i've heard a lot of stories that there are more than one at a time like in 2011 there was a man who was going out of a nearby uh, air force base and when he was flying over the mountains he saw at least seven of them and i just don't know how a shadow can be that widely produced. (laughs) I just love how completely mysterious they are. In uh, Scotland, with the Ben McDewey Mountain, uh, they have the Grey Man, which sounds very similar to it. And then... Also sounds very Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's the Grey Man. (laughs) He's described very similar. He comes through the mist. He stands on peaks of the mountains. He... You can feel like you're being watched. When I think of the Dark Watchers, I also, for some reason, immediately thought of Momo, the Missouri monster, because he's something that used to go, because I guess there aren't very many sightings of him anymore, uh, used to go throughout the 
the mountaineer is there and he is described to be like dark silhouetted and about like 10 feet tall just like the dark watchers and like people have seen him in passing but when they look back he's gone so i feel like dark watchers are more plausible because you can see something like them everywhere Here's my personal theory on it is, you know how there are spectrums that we cannot see and therefore there could be other dimensions of visibility, of presence that are beyond what we're capable of seeing on a normal basis. Well, if there are particular intensities like the sun, for example, at certain parts of the day, maybe that helps kind of link these together. Maybe the way that the sun hits the inside of your eyes could cause something to be seen differently. I love all these uh, stories of things that are seen in the corner of your eye, but you turn to look at them and they're not there anymore. And all of that to me, yes, it could be just a floater in your eye that you don't notice. But I'm also very aware, like you said, I'm very aware of when something like that is happening with my sight. I'm very aware of the clothing that I'm wearing and the shadow that I'm projecting. Um, so for me, it's like, oh, is that kind of a tear in in the matter around us that allows us to see a little bit differently? Am I maybe picking up on something that like a cat could possibly pick up on that I don't? I hear stories all the time. I was just listening to uh, the Scream Kings podcast, and they were interviewing a woman with a haunting in her house in New Orleans. And, and one of the key identifiers at the very beginning was her cat, who hates water like normal cats, jumped into the shower and climbed the inside of the shower curtain to the ceiling and started attacking something she couldn't see on the ceiling. And it's never reacted that way to bugs or or anything else. And they were saying cats see differently than we do. It's thought that like cats can perhaps see spirits. So anyway, my theory is that maybe Dark Watchers and some of these other uh, like shadow people are just beyond our spectral vision and that certain elements of nature might be able to skew that a little bit and open it up. I feel like this reminds me of back to like uh, Shumash tribe folklore, the Nunasis, I believe is said to be like something that was not quite in our world, but crossed over at night. And that's kind of like what made me think of that, like that being that lines up with that like idea, too. So this brings me to our one big question of the week. And right before we do that, uh, I'm going to just play a little ad from one of our sponsors. Memento Mori is the premier oddities and curiosities shop located in Los Angeles. Visit us at 1507 Wilcox Avenue at Sunset Boulevard in the heart of Hollywood, Fridays through Sundays, 11 to 6 p.m. Or shop online at www.mementomori-la.com. All right, Aubrey, every week we ask our audience one big question, and this week it's what is your favorite urban legend of all time and why? So I'm going to ask you first, and then we're going to hear from some of our listeners. I'm springing this on you. I I gave you no warning. This is hard. There are so (laughs) many. I think I'm going to have to go with what's been on my mind lately, and that's the Fresno Night Stalker. I'm sorry, Nightcrawler. Fresno Nightcrawler. I think Night Stalker might be a serial killer, but <laughs> Fresno Nightcrawler. It's this like I think it popped up in the late 1990s and it is just this weird pants cryptid. It's just walking pants. No. <laughs> yeah. 
there's like security footage of this thing. I I love it because there's at least one that scientists couldn't really like. They were like, well, that's something. I can't debunk it, but I can't also like confirm it. And you'd think that it's just local to Fresno. But even here in Indiana University, they have a ghost story like that, which makes me think, it's not a ghost, it's a cryptid. It's these walking pants cryptids walking everywhere. Pants that of Fresno. Have- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's been on my mind. I'm gonna have to go with that one. That's my favorite. Wow, that right is <laughs> a grand slam of an answer. I was not expecting that. Have you seen the movie Slacks? No. Okay, so someone just turned me on to this and I, I recently watched it and it's amazing even if you're not a horror movie fan like you can make it through slacks it's s-l-a-x-x it's the story of haunted pants in like the premier fashion shop of the mall so it's like the urban outfitters almost of um of stores and everyone's really hoity-toity and we're following the story of a young girl who just doesn't quite fit in but she's somehow got the job of her dreams working for this company and she finds out that the company isn't all it's cracked up to be on the same night that they're having a lockdown to reboot the store for the new fashion which is the same night that a popular youtuber is coming to do an exclusive unveiling of the new pants and the pants are on the loose killing everyone (laughs) it is exactly what you're talking about but probably a lot more violent i'll have to i'll have to watch that now yeah Yeah. that's great So this is the part of the show where I'm always looking for audience participation. And I mentioned I posted the same question to Hi-Ho this week. And here's what you all had to say. Hey, Josh. I'm glad you posted this one because this is right up my alley. I grew up in a slew of different urban legends, but my favorite being the legend of Sleepy Hollow because I grew up not too far from it. And I would go there as a kid to trick or treat because that was the thing to do, especially with the pumpkin head that was thrown at you by the Headless Horseman. And of course, the teacher Ichabod Crane was real. He was actually a friend of the writer of the story. And of course, he's long dead. But the whole neighborhood where we grew up was the battles and skirmishes of the Revolutionary War. So a lot of Hessians were hired as mercenaries and were used to fight. And a lot got killed in those neighborhoods. A lot of creepy trees still exist in Terrytown, Sleepy Hollow, and where I grew up in Mount Vernon. A lot of them being cut down or fall down over the years because of climate change and a lot of terrible storms. But I just love this story because it's where I grew up and the old homes and the old roads are super windy that lead to kind of nowhere. There's a lot of dead ends and it always made me wonder if I went there late at night, would it ever happen to me? Would I see the Headless Horseman? And I did go over there late at night and I didn't see the Headless Horseman, but what I did see is a giant shadow peering over the water that was over there. And a bunch of buddies of mine, we were in a a Jeep and we got freaked out by it and sped too fast. And the guy hit one of those speed bumps that you're not supposed to speed over. And all of us ended up going and hitting our heads on the roof of the car. Great post as always. It's always awesome to be a friend of the podcast haunting season. Thanks, Josh. (laughs) Joe, I love the way you tell stories, man. And I would expect nothing less from the host of the Dis Dungeon podcast. Thanks so much for this and for giving so much detail in here as well. Just a joy to listen to you talk, dude. All right, so my favorite urban legend is probably the Loch Ness Monster. 
my name is Trey, by the way, uh, if you use this on the podcast. Um, I went to Scotland when I was 12, and I actually got to go to Loch Ness and hang out there for a while. Unfortunately, I didn't see anything, but it's always been my favorite. I'm terrified of sea creatures, but I love them at the same time. They fascinate me. However, I want to tell you about the urban legend from my hometown or my home county of Ashley County, Arkansas, the Crosset Light. Now, every town has their spook light, but the Crosset Light has gotten so popular that it's actually featured in Creepypasta now. And if you go to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas and look at it, you can see all about it. Legend has it that in the early 1900s, there was a railroad worker whose head got cut off and now a light can be seen within the old uh, railroad tracks way back out in, you know, the boonies swinging back to back. I've been a few times with my best friend. I have seen something. Don't know what it was. Um, Some people think that it's just like a ball of gas. Some people think it's aliens. Some people think it's the spirit of the railroad worker. But I've seen it a few times. Um, My friend, he used to like to trick people into coming out there and scaring them himself. So some of my experiences there have been tainted by that. But I've been a few times and I've seen something. I don't know. I believe that there's something out there. I mean, I believe that there are lots of things that science can't explain. And I believe that there are lots of things that are meant to occupy your brain to where you don't focus on uh, other things. And so I definitely think that this is one of them. Anyways, it was a lot of fun. Um, I've been scared half to death there. And we've had the cops call on us a couple of times, but it's definitely interesting. And if you ever want to coordinate a trip to Arkansas, I'd be glad to take you out there. Anyways, hope that helps. I think I'd be just as afraid of a floating ball of gas moving back and forth as I would a ghost. So either way, I think that's kind of freaky, especially because you can go out there and and kind of see it yourself. And that's what I always liked about the... I don't want to call them lesser urban legends, but like the, maybe the ones that are more like hometown urban legends, you know, you only know about them if you're from that area because you have sometimes the opportunity to go out and hunt for them. And that's really, really fun. Also, just a quick note about Nessie. I just love that the Loch Ness Monster has a nickname Nessie and that she's adorable and still called a monster. I think we need to normalize the term monster because Nessie's a monster and she's super cute. Anyway, um, (laughs) thanks Trey for sharing this one. This was really fun to hear because I haven't heard anything about that, that light over there in Arkansas. The show's running a little bit long and we got so many responses this week that I think I'm gonna have to do a full episode on urban legends. What do you think? Well, that would mean keeping the topic open on Hi-Ho, so if you want to contribute and put your voice into the show, download the Hi-Ho app for free. There's no ads, no hidden fees, it's just an app that launched recently that I think is pretty cool and allows us to have conversations through video messaging about the stuff we're all interested in. I'm posting once a week and using the replies in the show. I'd love to hear from you, and if you don't want to do a video, just block out your face and send some audio while I look at the ceiling or a black void or something. That's it for today's show. Stay tuned after the credits for how you can get more involved in haunting season. Well, thank you so much, Aubrey, for coming on. Where can people find your stuff? Okay, well, you can basically find me on Folklore Facts on TikTok, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Uh, So far, that's where I'm at now. (laughs) 
Cool. Yeah. And the TikTok's really fantastic. Like I said, it has this incredible balance of humor and scary. So if you come across it late at night, it's not going to mess you up too much right before you go to sleep. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. We're definitely going to have you back next time we talk about any sort of folklore and urban legends. Well, if you want one on the pants monster, the Nightcrawlers, I'm your girl. (laughs) (laughs) We got to do a whole episode. Haunting Season is written and created by Joshua Sterling Bragg and is a joint production of Matt Gielen and Believe Limited. Thank you to our very special guest, Aubrey. You can find her by searching the username Folklore Facts on TikTok. This episode was executive produced by Matt Gielen, Ryan Gielen, and Patrick James Lynch with creative support from Cody Dugan, Jessica Richmond, Mel Forrest, and my wife, Courtney Barber. Haunting Season's editor is Colby Crow, and she uses music for the show made by North Innsbruck. You can find different content from Haunting Season on all of our platforms. YouTube has stories instagram has the spooky photos and updates tiktok has more movie reviews urban legends haunts and lore and we're now on the app hi-ho where you can contribute to the podcast with your voice and your video to hop into the conversation yourself and get personal replies from josh as well have something to send to josh yourself well we've got a p.o box now send anything cursed weird horror related or just a nice note to brighten his day p.o box 9681 glendale california 91226 thanks for listening friends and remember we're more likely to survive if we stick together i'll see you next time